Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Matthew. Uh, are we live? Who do yes, we have we on the Matthew. line? Well, hello. This is Michael Gray Wolf. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. The uh, internet goblins have gotten a hold of my computer. But yes. I'm having to do everything from my phone. <laughs> That's okay. So, are we uh, are we live on the air? Yes, we are. Okay. Well, in that case, I want to thank our lovely listeners for tuning in today. Thank you for joining Michael Graywolf and myself, Matthew Sidney, for walking the unnamed path. In this podcast, we discuss the teachings and techniques given to us by the ancestors of men who love men. We also touch on topics and ideas pertaining to queer pagan men in general. We're glad that you've decided to join us, and we apologize profusely for the internet gremlins and technical difficulties that have caused a little bit of a speed bump this morning. But we are live, and if you're listening live, we hope that you'll join us by calling 347 308 Two. And so, Michael, while we're waiting for our guest to dial in, um, tell us, uh, how have you been these past couple of weeks? <laughs> I've been pretty good. Uh, today, well, just like right now, has been really the only horrible thing that's happened. <laughs> but other than that, I have been pretty well. Um, see, this I'm trying to think. But I believe the last time that we had our episode, I was in the middle of a trip up north. Yes, I had gone to visit my boyfriend and his um, fiance uh, back in Champagne, and that was a great trip. I Really, I miss both of them. Uh, but you know, I'm glad to be home, and you know, I'm trying to you know get things up and running for this new year. You know, we're still in the first month of 2018, and I'm you know still trying to get a couple things actually started. Like one of my, I wanted to start working out again. You know, at the beginning of the new year. I know everyone says that, but it's definitely something I need to help improve my mood and whatnot. So I'm trying to get back into that on a regular basis. And <clears throat> I'm also looking for a new job. And I, it's something that I've been thinking about for a while. And it, it's something that popped in my head like something that was like, you need to do this. <laughs> and 
I actually had something cr- come across my news feed. Uh, are you there, Matthew? Yeah, I'm here. So it looks okay. like we have a caller. So bear with me just one moment. And um, I, whoever you are, mysterious caller, you are live on the air with Walking the Unnamed Path. May we ask your identity? Well, I could say it's Annette Funicello, but it's really a Ryan Foxwood. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, hello. Well, with, hey there, with how that, are um, I'm doing great. So I'm glad you were able to carve out time for us. And if you don't mind, I'm going to, for the benefit of our listeners, sing your praises a little bit. Um, Today's guest is Orion Foxwood. And Orion was born with the veil, an Appalachian term for second sight, into the rural Shenandoah River Valley in 1963, where his world was rife with folklore, ghost stories, superstition, and magical customs. His father was part Lakota native, and his mother was born in the slave quarters of a Virginia plantation called the Hollingsworth Place, where she was midwifed and spiritually fostered by a freed slave affectionately known as Miss Granny. It is this distinctive combination of elements that form the foundations of Orion's unique spirituality and magical practice. Orion is a conjurer in Southern Root Doctoring Practices, a traditional witch, an Alexandrian Wiccan high priest, an elder and mantle carrier of an old religionist craft line, and a fairy seer. He is a founding elder of the Foxwood Temple of the Old Religion and co-founder of the House of Bree. For more than 20 years, Orion has lectured extensively on magical practice and spiritual development throughout the United States and abroad. He is the author of three books, the Fairy Teachings, The Tree of Enchantment, and The Candle in the Crossroads, and forgive me because I know there's also a fourth book, and the title escapes me at this moment. And he's the subject of three DVD sets, um, and Orion also holds a master's degree in human services. And Orion, thank you again for joining us, and how are you doing? This weekend, I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing really good. The year has opened up like a fast-moving stallion, and so uh, uh, I'm good. Just trying to saddle that year and ride it to success, and I hope everyone is. Oh, good, good. Well, I know you will. I know you will. Bless. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. From your um... mouth to the to the goddess. (laughs) (laughs) So won't it be? Um, so I, I know in preparation for this show, you know, we had to narrow down, uh, our discussion. So today we're going to focus on fairy seership and I do hope, uh, that you'd be interested in coming back and so we can discuss other topics as well. Um, and, and I guess to kick it off, can you, for the benefit of our listeners, give us, um, the fairy seership elevator speech. What is it? Well, um, in contemporary language, it is a uh, uh, integrative, restorative, and co-creative eco-spiritual paradigm and practice. I'll explain all that. There's big old words in a minute. Founded in folkloric fairy tradition, 
um, with the thrust of eco-spirituality. Um, so the, the nutshell of that is uh, it is a practice. In fact, I don't call it so much a, a belief system or any of that because I don't believe. And the, ancient, the elders didn't believe in these beings. They knew. And so I called it an encounter practice. So it's a practice for encountering the fairy realms, the unseen company of the fairy realms, which are the ancestors of all earth life, with the focus of integration becoming whole, restoration, restoring humanity's sacred role on a living earth as a representative of the earth's destiny, but not the earth's destiny itself, and to become come back into the family of creation. And then the co-creative piece, to then also foster the development of the subtle senses uh, which our, our ancestors had when they lived closer to the rhythms and a co-creative relationship with our second next of kin, our first next of kin, really, and the other world, and that is the, the fairy people, the shining ones. So that's, a, a, I guess, a very big nutshell there. But uh, in a nutshell, what we're about, but it has a strong eco-spiritual focus, uh, and um, where much of the healing of humanity is based in unexiling itself uh, and coming back to the family of Earth life uh, as as the human representatives of it and as the caretakers of this incredible garden that we all live in. I love that. You sold me. Where do I sign up? Take my money. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, that is a lot, but I think what what really sings to me is um, the eco-spirituality. And when you mention humanity's exile, to me that, that's so profound. And, you know, growing up Catholic, I always, I always felt deeply that the, the story of the Garden of Eden was simply a metaphor for um, humanity's distancing itself from our intimate, our natural intimate connection with, with all life on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say something to that? Yeah, please mind. do. For years, I've, I've spent years, like probably many of us are contemplating what happened, what went wrong in the, when I say the wrong part, what got us to a place where the single most threatening thing to both human existence and life on earth is our illusion of isolation and the abandonment, fear, fury, and shame that comes from it. And how did we find ourselves in a place where we would point at different groups and say, I'm lovable, but they're not. Uh, and uh, where, how did we get there? How did we drift to this separation piece? Which, if you know about uh, evolution, the hallmark of a species extinction is over-specialization. So we're right in line. We are perfect for extinction. So how did we get there? So for years, you know, I spent my angry years going, the patriarchy, the patriarchy, and then the straight people, the straight people, right? Basically living out <laughs> the illusion of isolation. And so, but it wasn't until I understood through interaction with the fairy realms as the beings who are the oldest beings of Earth. They came here when Earth was but a star pulse long before it particleized, long before anything alive arrived here the way we know it alive. And so here's what I came up with. When we encountered fire, the fire was gifted to us from the heavens. And by the way, this is why there's so many 
old myths warning about, like Icarus, for instance. I think it was Icarus. Was it Icarus who gave fire to humanity? No, it's not Icarus. It was uh, Prometheus. 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 Yeah. And gets punished forever by Zeus. Well, the reason is, and the, the wisdom there is, other than Zeus just having a bad day and overreacting, uh, was that our interaction with uh, fire, which is a plasmatic state, and the stars are made of plasma, ignited our central nervous system's development because fire let us sear through the night and uh, wander uh, through the night safely against creatures who would have otherwise eaten us, so we, def- we conquered the darkness. Fire uh, let us smelt iron and smelt metals, which let us conquer the elements. Uh, It let us migrate from the uh, southern climates to the northern climates, which let us conquer the cold. And then lastly, the demons that were in our food that was killing our people and causing them to die painful deaths and early, we conquered them too, a.k.a. parasites. And in the cooking of our food, now by heating it, we also released proteins. Proteins that that hungry little um, hominid brain was just waiting for, right? And it got it and grow it did. But it grew so fast. It grew so fast in its technology and its perception and, and got full of itself as a species. I mean, who wouldn't? It was a fascinating ride that has caused it to over-differentiate and separate out. And now it's having to find its way back to the guidance that comes with the holism of all of nature. And so we have having to bring our brain, which can be a high chair tyrant that never gets enough, but it could also be a great innovator. We've got to bring it back to an understanding that the brain is neither the beginning, beginning or the ending of the mind. It is a laptop that plugs into the mind. And the mind is throughout mm-hmm. our body, throughout the body of the earth, and throughout the universe itself. Um, we're at a high-stakes place right now where our effect, the effect of the illusion of isolation on the overall planetary nature is kicking it into a, a reparative uh, uh, balancing process it has where it, if it has to balance by taking us out, it will. Um, and so... What our job now is to find that oneness, get back into the garden, the great garden of life, and have nature once again see us as necessary, to have creatures that depend on us because we're a part of the loving nature of a relationship with Earth. When that happens, and it won't take long, you're not going to believe the levels of intelligence that haven't arrived in our brain yet, that our brain's going to go off. It's going to love it. Okay. Enough, enough for that for the moment. <laughs> I, I no, I'm, I'm pleased. I mean, sing to me. I'm, I'm, I'm totally digging it. What you're speaking to is everything that my heart yearns for. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, oh well, thank and, you. And hey, well, you know what's funny? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted there. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. What's been funny and and rewarding teaching this work has been seeing the resonance that it has for people and not just pagan people Christian mystics uh, Islamic mystery uh, mystics um, it goes on and on scientists Republicans yes even Republicans uh, there have been groups across every economic strata ethnic culture 
or ethnic uh, group, cultural groups, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that as they hear the core teachings, they all say there's this resonance of truth. Now, I, I can't claim that resonance of truth as being the product of my mastermind, right? It's not. It's the wisdom of the ancient tradition of fairy. It's the the original instructions left behind in the ballads and the poems and in oral tradition in partnership with a contemporary uh, uh, expression of it and, above all, a co-creative relationship. And that's between Bree, this ancient, ancient uh, uh, primordial fairy being, and myself. And the reason it has resonance is all I'm doing is garbing the wisdom that she gives to me. And it's not wisdom that's a belief system. It's wisdom that's inherent to life itself. And that's why it has a rightness when people hear it. They go, ooh, ooh. My, my, like what one woman said, my life force loves this. Another guy told me, <laughs> said, yeah. I think my molecules are dancing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, this leads to my next question, which I think is more for the listeners. Um, you know, fairy is a word that's used so many different ways by so many different people. Um, within the context of fairy seership, what are the fairy people? Who are the shining ones? Well, I think a great way to come into this is the etymology of the word fairy, which we don't really know. There is no agreed consensus uh, on its derivation. There are uh, theories that it comes from... Uh, some say fata, which was an Etruscan word for fate. Uh, some say uh, fairy, P-H-A-R-E-E or P-H-A-R-I-E, which comes out of uh, well, Sim- uh, not Samaria. Per- it's Persian, which refers to these uh, uh, luminous spirits that live in the hollow places of the land. That sounds familiar. Or mm. fairy. Fayari being an old Breton word, which is uh, French Celtic, for uh, people of enchantment. I think they're all right because I, I suspect it came from an ancient, a much more ancient language uh, that is common maybe across all of them somehow. Um, what the Fayari are, so this is now coming from folkloric tradition. I'm very much, the wisdom that I bring is very much steeped in what did the ancients, what did the the ancients that carried these traditions in Wales and Cornwall, the Isle of Man, England, Ireland, Scotland, uh, the uh, continent of Europe, you know, Saxony, Germany, all the Teutonic people, what did these, what did they all have to say about what these beings are? Uh, since I don't need to discover the original instructions, they passed them, right? And the across traditions. The, the core thing or core consensus is they are the spirits of nature. That's one. They are the spirits of nature, and they range in a vast uh, uh, type of spirits, meaning anything from uh, the capricious, mischievous little uh, beings that hide our keys uh, to luminous beings, human size or larger, that, that could strike a man um, in awe and kill him by their beauty because they're, you know, the human nervous system can't comprehend their beauty. Now, the way I like to speak of them comes from an Appalachian elder. When I was growing up, I was, oh, I don't know, maybe five, six, 
knee-high to a grasshopper, as we say. Um, and uh, this old man would come by from the from the hills, narrow tooth in his mouth, and he would talk to my mama and then share little things with me. Now, I also knew that this old man always brought with him sugar, or, I mean, uh, ginger snap cookies, which to this day is still uh, my, one of my loves, right? So he sat me down and he said, uh, I want to tell you a piece of wisdom. They call me Mike back there. And uh, Mike, and uh, the truth is I was, you know, I was a little fella. I'll listen to whatever he said to get to those cookies. So I listened uh, pseudo-attentively with my eyes wandering over to the cookie can, but my mom wrote down what he said, which later then she had me memorize. He said, Mike, you got to make right with them folk. He means the fairy people. Them folk can snatch your prayers before they reach the ears of God. They're the original ancestors. We're the visitors. And when we break the laws of nature, we can't go to God to help us. God don't know how. God gave the world to them. Is that chilling? Wow. That became a major guidance to me throughout my whole life. My whole life. Because as I start to really understand what that man was saying, was if they're ancestors to all life on earth, they hold the wisdom. They know the original vision for humanity, for this planet, for all life on it, all life that's been here. And uh, that ignited my interest, that plus my mama. With, uh, one day we were at Cedar Creek, which wasn't far from my house, which is where the famous battle of Cedar Creek with General Sheridan uh, led in Civil War was. And so we were there, and it's a swimming hole there, and I loved it. And Mom let me wander away from her sight that day. Now I was maybe seven, if that was that. I was young. And I had hair, so it was a long time ago. Uh, so she let me wander out of her sight. And we were at an oxbow in the creek, which is where a creek sort of uh, goes up and then comes back down in a, almost a U fashion. Um, and there's a little piece of land in the middle. And that's an oxbow. And there's a reverse one, too, where it just collects water. And so we were there. And I heard this splashing in the water, and I was like, ooh, what's that? And so I looked over, you know, I was hiding behind the bushes a little, and I was spying, and there was these women, and they were in the water, except they were made of water. They still to this day, when I speak of them, I almost get, they break out in tears. They were so beautiful. I'd never seen anything like them. They were made of crystalline water, and they were swimming, and they were laughing and splashing each other. Well, one of them spied me spying on them. So she looks over at me, and she puts her finger in front of her lip like to say, shh, don't tell no one. And she winked at me. And, of course, I obeyed her and then quickly ran straight to my mom to tell her. So I got to my mom. I said, mom, mama, mama, I saw these women, and I told her what I saw. And she said, now, here's where sacred permissions, meaning permissions to be who we are, see what we see, to keep something holy and sacred and get the magic that was offered. Mom said, that's wonderful. You saw the water, ladies. Now, next time we're here, I want you to pour some honey in that water so that that water is always sweet for them. Mm. Isn't that also profound? My mama gave me the permission to see and to listen and to engage in a loving communal relationship. And, you know, I didn't know as a little fella how meaningful that would be. But here I am, 54. And I think back, and that old man, what he said, 
And my mama, what she said in that permission, started it all. And so here I am on fire how, for these beings. Yeah, it, it, it comes to my mind how um, – what a precious gift that is, that you had that experience, that you had those lessons at a young age because most uh, Americans certainly have, have, have uh, grown up com- you know, almost completely separated from that reality. And those of us who are, who are walking the path, we're so new to this. We have these experiences and we need so much coaching on how to interact and how to show respect and, and how to understand these experiences when we start to, to open up um, our deeper senses. Um, wow. I mean, it just strikes me how, how fortunate and, and, and blessed you are to, you know, have been taught these things, um, you know, because I think the people such as myself, I'm just kind of stumbling around, you know, figuring it out as I go along. Um, and I'm, I'm, it's wonderful that you have so much to teach us. Oh, thank you. And, and I guess that's what uh, the House of Brie is all about, right? Tell us about the House of Brie. Well, wait a minute. Sorry, I shouldn't have been eating while I was talking to you there. Um, the House of Brie is a uh, multi-year training institute I founded, I guess, a little over 10 years ago. Now, when I did this, like all true visions, right, that are spiritual, you never know the greatness of what you're giving birth to. All I knew when I wrote my first book and found it, The House of Brie, was I just wanted to be an ecological answer. I just wanted to see so many people who I could see were talented uh, in the magical arts, talented in their subtle senses, to be able to get into a dance instead of a battle with it. I wanted to, uh, and especially among gay people, queer people, well, queer, you know, originally is a very much a magical term in the old folk cultures. Queer meant set aside, odd, spirit-led, fey. All of these referred to, so queer was not derogatory at all. Just the opposite. It meant enchanted, you know. So when I founded the Institute, it was about, it was based on this uh, this valuing of these folk wisdoms and what they could do for us again, and uh, and a valuing of, of these gifts that I would see lying inside of people, uh, tormenting them when it should be setting them free. So... When I founded it, uh, and I'm thinking, I'm running right in there, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to teach folks, and it's going to be pretty easy. Well, it wasn't. As I got more and more involved in teaching people, I saw where not only had certain aspects of our subtle senses and our feeling of being at home on Earth kind of gone away, it was in a type of dormancy, and a dormancy with a severe lock on that door imposed by the Inquisition and our soul's memory of it, and then the yeah. uh, not only lack of rewards, but the punishments, social punishments that come with being sensitive. And then mm-hmm. getting people to trust their inner senses and the wisdom that flows through their body. So that's when I start developing the what I call the basic visionary processes to help teach people to help. And I, I, by the way, I don't really see myself as a teacher, because the wisdom of this sets inside your blood. It sets in your body. 
I like to think of myself as like a coach, you know, a mentor, encouraging uh, people to follow in the direction of how that voice is speaking through them and through their interaction with life. But, man, there is nothing more beautiful than to watch it come out of dormancy and watch someone start to go from the battlefield to the dancing floor with it and then to watch the, the beauty of life arriving for that person. So mm. that's what it was founded for, and it's uh, taught, I don't know at this point, hundreds, hundreds of people formally and probably thousands of people informally through the books and lectures and, you know, yep, yep. And, uh, and now I sit back at it all and go, how did that happen? You know, I was just writing a little book. <laughs> I, I have a, a question for you from one of our listeners. Uh, how has being a gay man helped inform your magical practice? I love that question. Well, the, where we're moving as a species is out of the rigid soul cages about how reality works and doesn't work based off of the illusion of isolation. We're moving into our original destiny, and that is being the caretakers and co-creators of the most beautiful planet, of the planet that is considered in many traditions to be the bride of God. Now, in getting there... We have to move from a fract, not fractal, a, 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 I can't think of the word, of, of a consciousness that uh, places things in boxes and doesn't let nature and let our nature breathe because the nature of life is it breathes. And the expression of, of existence is not on, in fine boxes but along a stratum like a radio dial. So yeah. on our way through something called fluidity of consciousness, which is where we're going. Because how else are we going to be, if we quote the Bible, but we're made in God's image, then we should be able to do what God does, but, you know, in a smaller range and with supervision. <laughs> um, we should be able to create, gestate, destroy, reassimilate. And so getting there, and that's where humanity is going, and we can see that even in the New Age and Human Consciousness Movement and their messages, but to get to the fluidity of consciousness, we've got to blow up the boxes, the girdles that have been put on our soul that stifle its breath, that stifle its expression. And the highest voltage part of that is going to be connected to the continuation of the life force and the species procreativity. Now, what the queer community has taken on that I love and I celebrate so much is we are the human souls that stepped forward and said, I'll take on the high-voltage piece, the piece that's connected to procreation and, and the life force continuation in our species, and that the expressions of gender and expressions of love are more than just the reproductive uh, uh, impulse of humanity. It's about the joy of life force expression in sex. It's about the joy of all of us are art waiting to happen and letting the art that sits inside of us that's the expression of ourselves have permission to be it. And so I see that my gayness or my queerness, I don't even know if I'm gay anymore. I think I'm just queer. Because, the only reason I say that is because even my relationship with women is changing as my, uh, my full uh, love or the many uh, feathered plumage 
I often mess up that word and say plumage, big difference, um, of that <laughs> unfold, right? And expressions of love unfold. It, we are the ones giving permission for the fabulosity of diversity to arrive. Yeah. So that's how it's informed yeah. it. Yep. That's how it's informed it. Well, I think, yeah, I think you touched on something and, and you talk about fluidity and I think that's important. And I think, you know, at this moment in history, there's so much focus on categories. There's so much focus on defining gayness as homosexuality or even <laughs> bisexuality. And my opinion has always been we're expressing something that's a deep part of our spiritual nature. And to me, yeah. it always has to do with those of us who are queer, we have the father and the mother and the divine hermaphrodite inside us. We are emissaries and expressions of that, those creative forces. And that's what's, you know, and, and it expresses in many different ways. And we cope with this, with what's inside of us in different ways. And to me, I can resonate with what you're saying about the plumage and the way your relationships, even women are changing because, you know, I think even in my life, as I progress spiritually, there's, I, I've learned to give myself greater permission to Uh express my spiritual truth more fully. And it transcends these convenient boxes that our society has created. Yep. In fact, not only does it transcend it, I hate to say it like this, it defies it. Yeah. It says, really? Yeah. Are you going to put salt on my wings? Really? Now, I want you to note something, too, about magic and its relationship to this. Look throughout history, and you will find magic most rears its head when freedom is most challenged. The Etruscan slave revolt that Aragia, also known as Aradia, led, um, teaching witchcraft sent as an avatar of the goddess Diana. Moses and the exiles of the Jews from Egypt performing uh, great feats of magic um, to oppress, to break the chains of the oppressors. The Haitian slave revolt of Sans Dominique, later known as Haiti, Haiti, led by voodoo. Um, hoodoo and conjure in America. It it ran. It was huge. It was everywhere. Uh, right after the uh, emancipation and then reformation periods of American history, and that was because it it was a mighty force to smite the chains of the oppressors and to give uh, disparity and inequity the people experiencing this some fair chance of having just the good things in life. So magic rears its head. When freedom is most oppressed. Now, we're standing at this place right now where our culture, even our government, has started to tackle this, has started to say there's an untruth and and saying being gay is wrong or uh, there's an untruth and withholding the constitutional right of marriage. And it moved a little bit now. Of course, there's still much change to happen. And what's wonderful right now in the government structure we're in And notice I say it's wonderful. The seer part of me says it's wonderful. The human part of me goes, oh, my God, this is terrifying. The seer part of me sees what's going on, and that is the shadow forces that are trying to keep those boxes alive, that are trying to keep those soul cages alive, 
are frightened and are struggling for their lives because they know the new age is upon mm. us. And what's happening is the last bugle call to call those shadow forces out so they can be seen and dealt with and we can move forward. I don't think this unity of consciousness or fluidity of consciousness is up for vote. This is where the planet's going. We're the human expression of the planet's nature. We're going to go there whether we want or not. <laughs> um, and uh, I've watched people change at unprecedented levels. Because, you know, I t I'm on tour all the time. And I see through the vantage points of lots of places and lots of people. I have never in my life seen so many people changing in so many significant ways. It's a great time to be alive, to be queer, and to be magical. Yeah, it really is. Now, I, I do want to cover and, and give uh, lots of time to um, fairy seership. And for the benefit of some of our listeners, I know that there's some confusion out there. Um, fairy seership, which we are discussion, discussing with Orion today, is not the same as fairy witchcraft, F-E-R-I, the system developed by uh, Cora and Victor Anderson. Um, not to say, like many magical practices, there likely are many common roots and common themes between those two traditions. Uh, but I know I still talk to people who um, get confused because of, of, of the use of fairy. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. And then uh, back to fairy seership. Um, people who study the fairy seership course with you can you give us an example of, of what they're going to learn? I mean, what do fairy seers do? Do they draw pentagrams? Do they channel spirit guides? Do they gather herbs? What what are they going to? What do they actually learn? Well, it is first and foremost uh, the way that I teach and sort of what defines a fairy seer and their role is entirely inspired by the original uh, folk teachings, where they had names for these. Uh, types of people, fairy seers, one of them that which primarily comes out of uh, Scotland and in England. Now, well, the mind of the word uh, fairy, fairy is not used in Scotland. In fact, remind me to say something funny about an old sort of political statement. It's very old from, the, I think, the 1600s, 1700s, about the use of the word fairy. It's an old rhyme. I think you'll like it. Or not rhyme, an old, an old saying. But the fairy seer was known as fairy seer or the tap, uh, the tasher in Scotland, the Dinian Hispis, which is uh, the fairy doctor in Wales, uh, and the names go on. In the old world, in the old traditions, the fairy seer was the one who could see beyond what the forms of life express and see what life really is. They were the ones that would go to the spirits of nature itself and ask, what are the rituals we need to stay in right relationship? What, are the, what guidance do we need to uh, ensure the crops, the herds come, ensure the safety of our babies, you know, et cetera, et cetera? How do we stay in right relationship with the overall nature of earth? The fairy seer, uh, unlike probably any other kind of seer, sees for nature, all of nature, and as in, uh, as they call it in the Druidic tradition, is a feely, which is an oracle for the green world or an oracle for the natural world. And see, we are nature humanified. We're the human expression of nature, and that's what we forget. Without a relationship with the wholeness of nature, we, we get lost, like any part of it. I mean, the, the finger removed from the hand has lost its context. 
you know it needs to be rejoined with the hand and so what what they'll in terms of the types of learning is first uh steeped in the old folkloric fairy tradition that's the first thing what are the fairy beings what is the fairy realms why is this important and then we have to go into a relationship with these ancient beings, right? And these beings have never been human. The lore makes it clear they are pre-human. Um, and so here we are humans trying to relate to beings that are often millions of years old, right? That seem absolutely immortal to us. Um, so the first thing we have to do coming into a relationship with this otherworldly um, being, the states of being, is to first come into a relationship with ourselves as humans. So our people first learn how to engage the river of blood, the river of blood being that continuous stream of humanity uh, and, uh, and our role with the continuous stream. See, the ancestors never die. There is no death. It's just they recede from the formed world into the flow world. They become a part of the underbelly of all life. And so we learn to engage the ancestral stream, to learn how to heal and uh, elevate it, uh, how to heal our ancestors. And much of the problems we see in the human culture now could have been completely healed hundreds of years ago if we would have just related to that stream and did work to bring our ancestors out of their purgatories, out of their paradox. If we do that, it won't be swimming in our blood. We'll be thinking with their wisdom and our thoughts. And so from there, then teach them to leap from human to other and understand nature's laws, to understand the guarding and, and guiding forces of, the, of nature, to touch the wild force and let it inflame their bodies and let their bodies speak because people are used to only one cauldron speaking and there's three, you know, the three cauldrons in the gut, in the heart, in the head. So this now moves it down into the heart and visceral levels and to understand that the greatest wisdom in our body is not in our brain. It's throughout our entire body because the brain was built by the body. And people keep forgetting that. The brain was built by the body. There is wisdom throughout it. So and then from there into seizing our fate road, what part of the overall fabric of Earth's vision for itself do we as a species collectively and we as individuals express? What is the inspiration behind our incarnation? And then going deeper, we start to engage the ancestors of all earth life, the fairy beings, these luminous forces that do not evolve us but transform us, and then extending our hand to a co-creative relationship with them, which we once had, to bring Eden about, to bring heaven on earth and Eden. So that's just a taste of it. But we're talking, this is a seven- to nine-year apprenticeship. Many people go, oh, my God, I couldn't do it. But I could tell you hundreds of people have. Uh, as they go deeper, they start to see that fairy seership is not to supplant what they have done, but to uphold it. And that's a big piece of language there. It doesn't seek to supplant or replace, but to uphold. Why would I want to replace the tools that you've already garnered? What I'd want to do is set the igniting fires on those in such a way that it unifies them and that you grow into the powerful change agent you were destined to be. Now, I get that same question about fairy and fairy. There's many spellings of the word, as we all know, um, in many w areas that that comes from. 
Um, there are a lot of likenesses between the Anderson uh, fairy tradition, which I love very much and have uh, great reverence for. Uh, I did meet Cora uh, before she died. I had a chance to chat with her as an Appalachian man to an Appalachian woman, incredible wise woman. And uh, I think that we uphold the same ideals. Um, I think that the fairy tradition, F-E-R-I, I, I say should have worldwide kudos for single-handedly taking on the diverse expressions, the queerness of nature, and restoring it back to its holy throne. I, I, I've always been so uh, admiring the tradition for that. What fairy seership brings to the dance is the co-creative relationship with these beings based on the folklore, right, and based on the common folk folklore. And together, I think these traditions are dancers. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but fairy tradition, as it's in its overall expressions of it, is probably one of the few practices I've seen in the world where across all the lines, be that R.J. Stewart's work, my work, the Anderson lines, your work, uh, et cetera, et cetera, we all respect each other. We all want to sit mm -hmm. in each other's workshops and hear each other's truths. We're not fighting for yeah. the truth. If anything, all of our mouths are open like baby birds. And um, that's something I'm very proud of. And I think that's the effect of the current of fairy. The f current of fairy uh, has us to increase our aliveness. You know, uh, my mom used to have a saying. How many women, I didn't like this saying, by the way, until I grew up. The reason was she was applying it to me at times. And uh, now growing up, or having grown up, sort of-ish, uh, I see her wisdom more than ever. Mama said, how many people got to be wrong for you to feel right? <laughs> well, the beautiful thing among fairy folk is we don't look at each other and go, you're wrong because we look at each other and go, ooh, let me listen to your rightness. Let me hear yeah, it's the piece of fairy truth that's speaking through you because I don't want to miss none of it. Yeah, yeah. And there's certainly... As you bet, certainly a lot of cross-pollination. You know, I know so many people, there are people who've studied um, Anderson fairy tradition who are now studying fairy seership or who studied Anderson fairy tradition are now studying unnamed path. And, and there's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's like, uh, you know, we, we all get to feast at each other's tables. Absolutely. And you know what? What you just said, that's a, pardon the pun after saying that, a mouthful. Um <laughs> we can feast. We have a wisdom feast. There for the taken. There for the to devour that feast, grow strong and vital in the nutrition of its wisdom, um, and enjoy this this relationship that the traditions have with each other. Oh yeah, we all go to each other's things. I, I can't even tell you the numbers of people I refer to the many elders of, of F-E-R-I line, who I just love as as extended family, you know. And to you guys, I love what, what Eddie's vision was about and what Eddie was about. Eddie and I knew each other for years. We loved and we argued, and we loved arguing. You know, mm -hmm. debating and hammering out truths, you know, like, a, like, like some kind of metalsmith hammering out iron to become stainless, right? <laughs> um, and there was a strong vision behind the working... Uh. And I, I really oppose you. Yeah. yeah. Some some of us are still some of us are still having friendly debates with him. <laughs> oh um, yeah, well he would want that. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know that leads me to um, 
my next question. Um, my understanding uh, from hearing you talk is that fairy seership is not strictly pagan and that Christians, Muslims, Jews who feel the calling, can they study fairy seership too? Absolutely. It's not a religion of worship. That's the first thing to understand. There's no worship going on. There is engagement with the ancestors, human and other. Now, these the seminal texts on Gaelic uh, fairy tradition was written in the late 1600s by a man nam- named Reverend Robert Kirk in Aberfoyle, Scotland. It's called the Secret Commonwealth. In fact, if you go to R.J. Stewart's uh, website, rjstewart.net, he has versions of it where he's done his commentary, which is really worth having because then you're looking at a Gaelic practice through Gaelic eyes so that you can see the subtleties that have so much wisdom in them. But right there you have an example of the fairy tradition and the reason they couldn't eradicate it. They tried. They used uh, demonization and trivialization, and neither one could get rid of it. The best thing they could do was to shrink it, shrink its power, and the fairy got smaller and smaller until then it was just small enough to be able to crawl through the keyhole in human consciousness and once again arrive as the massive, powerful force it is. They couldn't get rid of it for just this reason. It's alive in the tribes of all of humanity. It's because it's not a belief system. It's because these beings are there, whether we want to believe it or not. And uh, this is more about uh, engagement, uh, about engaging or seizing your fate road cleaning out the shadow shapers of the dust bunnies down in the hole of your soul, retrieving the pulse of vitality that pulsed your presence across the invisible to the visible, unbinding that vision out into this world in a relationship or context of the rest of the fabric of life, in partnership with the forces that literally control the life pulse of the planet. These beings are the life pulse. They are the star pulse that pulses at the core of our world. Engage with them, and we're going to become something beautiful. As you can tell, you ask one question, it's like blah, blah, blah. It all comes out uh, because of my deep <laughs> love for these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I know. I love it. And um, please continue because this is um, – I've I've attended a couple of your workshops, and – just in that small context, I've learned so much, and that's why I was excited for this episode because I really wanted our listeners to to get a taste of that. Um, so definitely feel free. I mean, you're a very inspired speaker, so just speak as the spirit moves you. Um, I do have a, I do have a question though for listeners who are interested in um, learning a little bit more about fairy seership. Um, but maybe they're not sure if they're ready to do the apprenticeship. Um, is which one of your books would you recommend that they pick up first? Um, um, for fairy seership, I would do. Yeah, I would do uh, uh, the fairy teachings first, and that one. Uh, some bookstores have it, and if they don't, you can go to rjstewart.net. RJ uh, published that one, and it's on his website. Uh, again, it's R.J. Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, dot net. 
Um, I would read that one first because that steeps you in the folklore, which is important. This is imperative because the folklore uh, is where the, the actual original tradition sets. And if the, without the folklore and its wisdom, we lack the well-worn path of the, of the elders that had established these relationships thousands of years ago. So I would advise read that and begin to sort of integrate some of what it says, maybe work with some of the practices. And then The Tree of Enchantment, which was my second book, which I call The Driving Manual of Fairy Seership. And it really introduces everyone to the nine vision keys, which are these nine prima, primary uh, forces that operate throughout life uh, and all three levels of existence, uh, and also that are dimensions of existence. Uh, and it introduces you to some of the attending beings of this, of these realms. Uh, I think that if they read those two, they'll have a really sound uh, language uh, and, be, and be ready. As I always say, be ready with the right questions, the questions that really are useful to them. And then if they find that they're interested, they can always... Um, Go to uh, orionfoxwood.com, and it says contact us. Now, forgive the appearance of the website. It's going to be going under construction, so it, I, I realize it's scattered, and there's a lot of updating that needs to happen, and that's going to be happening. But uh, where it says contact us, that goes straight to me. But I do respond to my emails. Uh, sometimes it takes me a little while, and I ask your forgiveness up front. But uh, if you're interested after that or just already interested, I'll do my best to get you in contact with uh, teachers and coordinators near or in your area and uh, let you know what we're up to. And then I also wanted to give a plug to your CD. You are a very talented composer of Charms and Chants. And um, I actually have a copy Songs of Enchantment, Ch Charms and Chants of Orion Foxwood. I uh, actually just um, loaded it into my iTunes and onto my phone today. Um, for people who want to get a taste of that, which to me is very powerful. I'm a musician. You know, music is, is a powerful teacher to me. Where can people get a copy of your CD? Well, they can go to uh, Shaman Smith. Let me get that right. It's shamansmith.net. Or .org. I may have to look that one up. Um, and um, let, let me see if I can get my hands on a copy of the CD real quick, too, because I can tell you that exact website. Um, and while I'm doing that, uh, the, eventually the CD you'll be able to get at stores and stuff. We're slowly getting that out. It will be at PECON. And for those who are coming to PantheaCon, I'm doing a workshop called Becoming Powerful. And it's about becoming an agent of change in a world that's changing. And so a product of that is the, the film, uh, which I've mentioned sometimes. I don't know if I mentioned that to you. There's a film being done called A Candle from the Mountains, and it's a documentary uh, being done by Shaman Smith on myself and the House of Bree and its work. And so we're going to be yeah. we're gonna have the, the film there at this workshop and talking about the CD and uh, giving wings to this message, but uh, let me look as we're chatting. Maybe I, you ask more. I, I, I found the link. I found the link. So if any of our listeners, uh, if you want to uh, purchase Orion CD, you can go to shaman s h a m a n hyphen c 
smith, S-M-I-T-H dot org. So that's shaman hyphen smith dot org. And a lot of the old, it's a mixture of uh, very ancient charms, which I love the charms, and uh, and then some that I've written and songs that I've written from this work. And I say I've written, but really it's my hand wrote, but the spirit world really composed. Um, and then it's, being sung, these uh, works are being sung by some of the most incredible singers um, uh, out of mostly Southern California. And I, I, it feels like a musical in a way, too. As you're listening to it, you're being invited into a, a whole experience of what the charms of enchantment do. Um, so I think that that CD is a good way to touch the, pardon the pun, more charming <laughs> aspect of the work I do. <laughs> yeah. The enchantment. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to be a little trickster here. There is uh, I'm I'm looking forward to a future book of yours, Conversations with Yahweh. <laughs> you like that those uh, <laughs> the discussions that we've had. Wow. Well, I it, it I got tingles. I, when you all said I want that. to say, as a fan. I just want you to know there's a market for that because the um, to hear you speak of your mystical experiences, I put it in the category of mysticism, uh-huh. certainly sings to me and resonates with me. And I feel that in those short conversations, and, and you did go there in one of your workshops, so this wasn't all private. You did go there in one, one of your workshops. Um, it was very powerful, and and to me, I think it's a um. I love it. I love it. And if you were to decide to do a book on that, a workshop on that aspect of mysticism, I'm there. I mean, I'm just. I love it, and I think it's powerfully healing. It has been incredible for me because I was uh, for years just uh, pardon my language, pissed off with that particular god. And so I didn't want to talk to him. Now, albeit, uh, when I left the church, I didn't leave Jesus. I loved Jesus' teachings. And so, and I've done a lot of, you know, research in the Aramaic Jesus and understanding what, it, what he really was saying uh, in the more original translations. And so trying to rectify that, trying to come off the battlefield onto the dancing floor of my relationship with my folkloric, religious tradition i mean i was baptized in a crick the old way right and and how to come back into a relationship with it as a part of my overall story of my life and be able to resacredize it so yeah there's this whole story of you know me being ready to have these arguments with this uh, expression of god and that god coming into my dreams and speaking to me unbelievable stuff when i say unbelievable yeah. a level of kindness and of love and the level of uh, clarity that it's sort of like everyone has heard the uh, about the Inquisition from the witch's standpoint and the Inquisition from, say, the church's standpoint. Why do we hear about the Inquisition from God's standpoint? <laughs> and God had a very – that God had a very different thing to say about it. And But the bottom line of it was he said – in fact, he didn't want me to call him God. He said, I don't like that. I never liked it. Don't call me God. He said, and I said, what do you want to be called? He said, Grandfather. I like that. Isn't that beautiful? 
He said, let me, t- and I said, that is- well, what about, was this, oh, I'm sorry, what, what now? No, I was going to say, going- that's amazing. We uh, we do have a caller who's been patiently waiting, so I'm going to bring our caller on the air. Uh, caller, thank you for waiting patiently. Um, tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Hi, this is David Shorey from San Diego, California. David, thank heaven. you for joining us. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Hi, everyone. Hi. Um, so I, I just wanted to, one, um, as a point of personal privilege, um, come on and, and just say publicly, I love Orion Foxwood. Um, <laughs> and and two, I actually had a question that kind of came up out of the discussion you were talking about reconnecting, you know, as, as the purpose of fairy um, seership of reconnecting with the natural world. What advice or insight do you have for folks who may be living in very um, urban environments, you know, big cities, concrete jungles, um, who, um, you know, have what they perceive to be as barriers against connecting with the natural world? Um, What what thoughts do you have on that, Orion? Well, um, and I think that's a great question, and it's one – I used to have one a very different position from the one I'm about to say. I used to say you got to get out and get to the country, right? And I used to say the the wild forces of nature are not in the city. Well, clearly, I was still in the illusion of isolation when I thought that. <laughs> nature is everywhere. There is nowhere. My mama used to say there is nowhere where God is not. There is nowhere where nature is not. So. Um, and just as, as some examples of that, we have uh, – I swear to you, our cats and dogs, our, our furred and feathered friends, are a part of a contract with the rest of, of uh, the nature of Earth that they came into our world, into our lives, to ensure that we didn't wander too far away from non-human intelligence, you know, or uh, wander too away from the wild force itself. So praise to our pets. Um, one of the techniques that we teach – it's something called the fairy whale, which has to do with uh, sensing the vital pulse of the earth rising. And then as it does, it opens out a well or like a pore, like you would have pores on your skin, a pore, an opening uh, into this world. And then uh, often bathing ourselves in the rising light of the underworld, which is the connective watery wisdom of the holism of earth itself through the genus loci, the the local spirit. Just that technique alone, by itself, begins to bust away that feeling of disconnection. Because under your house sits the land. Everywhere you walk, the land is there, even if it's under the cement. None of our structures can muffle the voice of nature. And if that's not close enough, then look at the sky all around you, the earth around you. Touch your flesh, the warmth of your body that's your life pulse. All of that's nature. The more you can touch those things and become aware that you're surrounded by it, the more you'll see even the man-made things that are here, right? Maybe except polyester. Uh, (laughs) You'll see them in their original origins. They're all from earth. So, you know, if you invite the nature and everything to arrive, everything becomes nature. 
Thank you. Sure. Thank you for that great question. And oh, oh, Ryan, that's so powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm still just absorbing <laughs> what you just said. <laughs> well, it took he, me a while to get there. I was a country boy. You know, you can imagine my love of loves. I'm happy that a pig and slop, being uh, you know, immersed in the forest and by the ocean and you know these the, the deserts. But that is sweet and loving as that is. Our job is not to bring our city dissonance out to the country harmony, but to bring the country harmony and that wisdom of it into the city dissonance so that nature throughout our cities remembers itself, so that mm. it, it unfolds itself. You know, um, it's all about a relationship. Wayne Dyer, the late Wayne, late Wayne Dyer, who was an incredible human consciousness pioneer, he said, when we change the way we think about things, the things we think about change. Mm. Isn't that powerful? Mm. That's powerful. It is. You know, so erasing the illusion of isolation, you've got nature all around you. By the way, towards the end of this show, is it possible for me to do a, a prayer to the undercountry that I'd like to do, if I may, but, but towards the end, whenever you feel is appropriate, if that's okay. Oh, pl- yes, please. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, you know, we, we've gone over time a little bit, um, so I think we'll do that soon. I just want to put it out there. Um, uh, David, do you have any other questions for uh, Orion before we wind down? Um, I, I, I don't have a question. I have an observation. The observation is that, um, uh, you know, I've been a, a student of Orion's and f- for full disclosure for, uh, six years almost. It's, it's hard to believe. Um, and, you know, Orion talked earlier about the process of being a fairy seership apprentice and being, um, and having folks, feel like, oh, I can't commit to that amount of time. And the, the reality of this of it is is that, um, you know, you're living your life on a, uh, on a basis where um, once you, you get connected with this, it simply becomes a part of who you are. Um, and so to feel like it is some kind of long-term burden no it's it's simply supporting your journey through life supporting you know the path that you take um in a way that opens your eyes to see the immense beauty around uh, around you and you know uh, orion in every sense of the word and i'm not trying to blow smoke up his butt but is a a saint in that he's bringing forth this information um and and it's information that's kind of manifesting everywhere. He's just shining a spotlight on it. So um, I just want to throw that out there. Say I love you, and I'm going to hang up now because I got to go back to work. But um, you, brother, love love you, Orion. I'll talk to you soon. But never enough. <laughs> All right. Thank Very you, David, for calling in. 
Mm-hmm. And then, Orion, bef- uh, before we close out, do, do you have any announcements or anything upcoming uh, that you wanted to tell our listeners about? Well, um, there's the film. That's a big upcoming thing. that uh, We're targeting for April, but I think it may be a little bit later than that. I'll be putting announcements out on Facebook as we get more information on that film. Uh, this, uh, the Pecan Workshops, which I mentioned. Uh, and uh, we have an event coming up also. Um, let me get that calendar. Uh, called Concert Craft, which Susan Diamond and I uh, founded uh, in Santa Cruz. And uh, this year's theme for that one is Magic with Muscle. And it's about transforming uh, these fearful times into powerful times and empowering times. So I'm going to be there. Uh, that is, uh, when is that? Just bear with me. Um, that is April, uh, the week of the 28th, 29th. So that's coming up. Uh, I'm going to ATC Spring Mysteries in outside Seattle. And that's coming up at the end of March. Um, so those are fun. And one of my real exciting things is uh, something called Shamanic Lands, which is an institute in Wales uh, that brings together uh, shamans uh, and people who carry indigenous traditions uh, relative to, you know, uh, specifically relative to the isles there, um, but mm. not exclusive bringing others. This year, I'm going to be one of their uh, headlining teachers, uh, bringing the concepts of uh, the fairy-human co-creative relationship and also the fairy marriage there. So that'll be in Wales in June. If you look up just shamanic lands, it'll show up. Uh, so those are some of the exciting things before us. Um, just a, just a, a, few, a taste of some. There's a lot of things going on. Wonderful. And are, are all your dates and, and events, are those uh, posted on your website? If I, I wish I could say yes. They're not, because uh, I'm still learning the wonderful world of web and, and all of its offerings. But I, I post regularly in Facebook, anyone who has Facebook. Um, but the, the website will be changing soon, so the answer will be yes, I'd say within a couple of months. But for now, Facebook's a really good way uh, to kind of keep up with me making announcements. And also, feel free uh, at any time to um, contact me through the web, uh, through the website. If you have questions, if you want to know when I'm near your town or, yeah, or other events. Okay, wonderful. Well, Orion, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us today and, um, I definitely want to have you back. Um, Michael apologizes. He was having uh, some equipment issues, but he has been listening to the show. So I know he's also very grateful. And please um, close us out with the prayer that you are going to share with us. Do the unnamed path in your work. Um, May the ancient ancestors place your feet in right relationship with the directive of your spirit. And may Eddie's uh, spirit be exalted always uh, through your work. So anyone listening, if you would place your hands out in front of you, palms down, sensing the vital pulse that rises like a blue and silver fountain of flame from the heart 
of the dreaming child of promise that lies sleeping on a bed of blue flame at the core of our world, dreaming the world into existence. Think a moment as you feel the vital pulse rising of all the goodness of earth, all the food, the air, everyone that you love is made of the vital elements of earth, so much goodness that rises up from the earth. As you do, just repeat after me. This is a prayer to the good neighbors, to the fairy people of the underrealms. Good neighbors of the underrealms, awaken unto life. Ban the bane and bless our luck and banish blight and strife. Open now the ancient ways of life and love with land. Open now the Hawthorne Way as we extend our hand. Lead us to the magic road and back in touch with thee. And we will know our kin and rock in cloud and sacred tree. We end this call with heartfelt breath and consecrated deed. Blessings to all by root, by flower, and wind-scattered seed. Now, if you'll take your hands and scoop up some of that rising light from the underworld and just cup it in your hands, and we're going to say this two more times, this final part. And then when, right at the end of it, I'll instruct you now this blow and breathe out those seeds, the seeds of light that have come through what you've risen from the underworld that they may go to wherever is needful. So blessings to all by roots, by flower, and wind-scattered seed. Blessings to all by root, by flower, and wind-scattered seed. And then breathe that light that you've risen from the undercountry, filled with the seeds of inspiration of the original vision of earth. May they go to the Middle East. May they go to the White House. May they go to wherever is needful for healing, for inspiration. May they take root and the tree of magic grow everywhere they go. Let this be written into the book of the law that none may rend asunder. Many blessings to everyone. And may all the blessings of love encompass you now and forever. That was beautiful. Thank you. Have a magical, magical everything, and um, I look forward to next time. Me too. Thank you for having me on, beautiful man. (laughs) Thank you, and thank you to our listeners. Until next time, um, this is Walking the Unnamed Path.